It's what you learn after you know it all that counts. These are some very wise words from the famed coaching great John Wooden. And they're super relevant for where we're at in these times. Because reaching a certain age can conjure dark thoughts of failure. The job you worked for years to get but got passed over for. The former spouse who was wrong for you. The family you didn't get to start. So you look for new directions and the answer to achieving your goals or giving them up feels obvious. You simply make new ones. But taking up new projects obscures the problem. When you aim at a future goal, your satisfaction is deferred because your success has yet to come. The moment you succeed, your achievement is in the past. Meanwhile, your engagement with the project subverts itself. You either fail at pursuing a goal or in succeeding, you end its power to guide your life. The problem isn't that you'll run out of projects. Surely you you can create new ones. It's that your way of engaging with the ones that matter most to you is by trying to avoid failure. And when you reach your goal, you exhaust your interaction with something good as if you were to make friends for the sake of saying goodbye. When you're obsessed with replacing old goals with new ones as you work to achieve more and more or work to avoid failure, your satisfaction is always in the future or the past. It's mortgaged, then archived, but never really fully possessed or embodied. In pursuing goals, when you aim at outcomes, you might preclude the possibility or value of the pursuit itself extinguishing the sparks of meaning in your life. So no wonder you might be experiencing a midlife malaise, haunted by the hollowness of everyday life. At the root of this is the discomfort with how to handle setbacks and failure. So naturally, you might be wondering what to do about this, and you're in luck because in this episode, you're going to learn a four-step mind map for navigating or negotiating setbacks and failure or managing your missteps so that you can unhook from these experiences and create space for generating new meaning and satisfaction. So let's get started. Welcome to Bullshift, the podcast for every person aged 35 to 55 who wonders, is this as good as life gets? Bullshift teaches you how to apply coaching psychology, early midlife insights, and the art and science of a meaningful life to transform this life phase into a period of creativity and growth. We spend nearly half our adult lives in some type of transition. This show is about making all that time more satisfying. My name is Megan Krause, and as a nationally board-certified well-being coach, a modern midlife maven, and the chief bullshifter. I'm delighted you're here. If you're going to live a life worth living, one wherein you're going to try new things and especially to be new things, you need to acknowledge that failures and setbacks are pretty much guaranteed to happen. So then the important question is, 
how can I overcome failure, even and especially devastating failure, and then regain confidence? This is true in relationships, both personal and professional, in our health, in our work, in our lives in general. And I know a thing or two about overcoming failure, plagued by an autoimmune thyroid disorder, anxiety, and depression loomed as I experienced crippling chronic fatigue and HPA axis dysfunction, professional uncertainty, a breakup with my long-term partner, and cherry on top, unwitting months-long black mold exposure that exacerbated everything in my life. And in terms of negotiating setbacks, my wisdom of that hard-earned experience is also bolstered by all kinds of degrees and certifications. Really, I'm not winging it here, folks. When clients come to me wanting a more satisfying midlife, the emotions they're feeling include a mix of regretful, nervous, sad, angry, bored, and a bunch of others. And a lot of us have the same so-called problem. We've entered into a midlife malaise and don't know what to do to feel better, but we know we want to do something. And often we let our conclusions about setbacks and failure get in the way. No doubt you can relate. Well, Like I said, you're in luck today because I've got those four steps to help you move through setbacks and failure to even greater effect. Step one, recognize this question. The question reads, how can I overcome failure and regain confidence? Isn't about possibility, as in how's it possible for me to? It's actually about necessity. You must find a way to deal with setbacks and failures, even Again, those devastating failures and to regain confidence when you lose it. You've got to find a way to overcome it because failures and setbacks and even blows to your confidence are going to happen. Failing and losing are not themselves cause for concern. In fact, they're part of the good life. And if they're part of the good life, then not ever having failures would be more cause for concern. So disregard drawing conclusions about your character or your worth or your entire existence because you've seen a few failures. You're going to see failures. You're supposed to see failures. Otherwise, you're really not giving enough of yourself to your life. So repeat out loud after me the following statement. And it's kind of a longer one, so you might want to hit pause to do this. I'm committed to living a life worth living, to creating new things, and to becoming all I have yet to become. I understand that setbacks and failures will be part of my journey, so I'll make it a must to learn to deal with them in a way that's healthy, productive, and conducive to picking myself up, dusting myself off, and moving forward in my life. I will not take them primarily as signs that I should stop or that I'm a failure. I'll first take them as a sign that I'm endeavoring to be something different, something more than I was yesterday. And this is good. Yeah, you want to, like I said, hit pause and repeat that back to yourself. Okay, so you tried and you failed. And what do you want to say? That you shouldn't have tried because you failed? Well, that wouldn't be fair. Avoid drawing demeaning and robust conclusions about whether, given your ineptitude, you should even be allowed to exist. Avoid being dramatic about the failure before you try to find a reason to try again. And then you'll get farther. And make the main point of your failure to learn to fail better next time, not to assess the contents of your being. 
the easiest way to get rid of the good majority of your anxiety about trying and failing is to get rid of the fear of making a mistake. And that's not really too difficult because it amounts to no more or no less than changing your conception of what a mistake actually is. A mistake is an incorrect idea or opinion that comes to light or a thing done incorrectly. And the qualifications here are really important because it's only when the incorrect idea, which may have been sort of sitting there dormant for some time and may have otherwise just continued this way indefinitely, it's only when it comes to light that it gets noticed and, of course, noted as a mistake. Now, I know you've likely experienced this coming to light as a bad thing, and this is because it's a bad thing for your ego, but it's not actually a bad thing. It's actually a good thing. Think about it. Is it better to continue living with an erroneous belief or to live without it? Even if that meant it had to expose itself, and of course you with it, for you to do so, which is better? You know, think about it for you in your life, which is better? Each and every mistake seen in this light is simply an opportunity for growth and likely an irritating reminder for the ego. But it's not the end. It's not even an end. It's simply an opportunity to correct something, an opportunity you likely would have missed had you not made the mistake. Yes, it's unpleasant to be wrong and distasteful to be shown to be wrong and tragic to bear the negative consequences of having been mistaken. So by all means, allow the ego its drama, but it's nonetheless true that it's precisely by your mistaken idea coming to light that you see that it needs to be changed. And that's the whole point. Change it. So let me say this again. The point of the mistake is not to make you feel stupid or to teach you shame, but to show you where or what you need to change to be better off. A mistake inherently offers an opportunity for growth. Is the secrecy of your misperception, the desire to not know or let anyone else know about it, really more important to you than your own quality of life? A blow to the ego for an opportunity to actually be better off than you once were? This, really? That's your choice. You can always be better off for having made the mistake in as much as you're always better off for having seen the light. You always have the opportunity to be better off here what you choose to do with it, be embarrassed, defensive, deny it, is entirely up to you. It's your choice. So you can always choose to redeem your mistake in the most substantial and profound sense by choosing to learn from it. It's also true that where you don't, you're likely to find yourself making the same mistake, repeating the same pattern over and over until you get it and you do change. Just change your mistaken idea or behavior to conform to the new truth life's exposed for you. Okay, so that's step one. Moving on to step two. Recognize that failure and success are part of the same path. So part of the reason you're going to encounter setbacks and failures is because you're living and trying new things or creating new things or being in new ways. The other reason you'll see failures and setbacks is because success and failure are not two different roads, like you'd meet at a crossroads, for example, but rather they're the same road. Success and failure 
share the same road. Just picture success a little bit further down the path. Think about it. Always, before you can do something, there's a period of time in which you can't or have not yet proven you can do this thing. At first, you always can't do it. In fact, up until that third, tenth, or 500th time when you succeed, every prior attempt is a failure or a setback. This means that successful people fail just as often, if not more, than their unsuccessful counterparts. And you've probably heard some version of the saying that the most important difference between successful and unsuccessful people is that the successful ones never interpret failure as the final word on the subject. Or you could think of it another way. The most important difference between successful and unsuccessful people is the way they respond to losing or failure. So repeat to yourself out loud right now, I want to be a successful person. That means I'll take failure to signal that success is simply further down the road. Seriously, go ahead. Just say that out loud to yourself. All right. Time for step three. Applaud yourself for trying. I'm a big fan of high fives, so give yourself a high five. Everybody wants to be the person who succeeds, right? Okay, fine. Not really worth talking about. The real question, though, and the choice before you is whether you want to be the person that tries. Pro tip, yeah, you do. So when you do, applaud yourself. Remember that these were your options, try or not try. And genuinely, Applaud yourself for trying, for putting yourself out there. And this is going to help you retain or regain your confidence. And by the way, your applause, you'll want it to be equal to your earnestness or how much of yourself you actually gave to the effort that you made. Not in proportion to your perceived success or lack thereof, but rather again, your effort. So applaud yourself to the extent that you got in the ring instead of sitting on the sideline. And it's not like it's a consolation prize because it isn't. Give yourself props for doing the most important thing, putting yourself out there and trying. Even when you win, remember, celebrate the effort and enjoy the result. Okay, step number four. Confine your conclusions and your embarrassment to the iteration or the instance. So don't let a specific setback become some sort of global statement about you or your abilities or your life. You want to confine your conclusions and potentially your shame, if that's showing up for you, to the iteration or the instance, to this try, this specific experiment, this particular manifestation of your effort. So for example, say you fail an exam for a particular professional certification. After studying and practicing, you fail the first time or the second or the third. What do you conclude? That you're incapable of success in this profession? That you'll never pass your test, so you should just stop? None of that is necessarily true. And in fact, what you are and what you are or aren't capable of is still undetermined at the end of a failure because Success exists further down that same road. But okay, fine. Say you're incapable. The question is incapable or inept at what exactly? You want to watch the tendency to draw increasingly global conclusions 
as a result of a specific failure? Do you question your ability to pass a test or to thrive under artificial conditions as if you were out there in your job? Do you go on to question your ability to do the job at all or to ever be capable of it? And what about your ability to ever get things right, to ever get what you want, to ever make what you want happen in your life? Are all these things being brought into question by this particular failure? The more we generalize and abstract our conclusions from the particular iteration or instance of our effort, the more we inflate its failure to cover increasing aspects of ourselves and our lives, and the harder it's going to be for us to do two things, learn from it and try again. So remember, confine your conclusions and your shame, if that's present for you, to this instance or iteration. Avoid spinning off into some sort of soliloquy of lifelong character judgments or what a lost cause you are at this particular thing. Relegating your conclusions to the effort rather than to your essential nature is definitely a healthier, if not more correct, way to engage with life. Okay, so if you're wanting a life of contribution, of greater meaning and satisfaction, then you need to be able to apply these four steps to navigating setbacks and failure instead of bypassing them for some other new goal. And to be clear, I'm not suggesting that you give up on your worthwhile goals. Their achievement matters, but there's tremendous value in the process alone. And if you hope to overcome the gloom of self-defeat, you need to appreciate the process that inevitably involves setbacks and failure. In fact, this is how you cultivate your wisdom through successfully resolving your hardships. You see, life is a successive unfolding of success from failure. Every effort preceding success will invariably be, to some extent, a failure. And life, life really lived, consists of these iterations. And the good news is that when it comes to setbacks, you've got options. Number one, you could regret trying or applaud yourself for trying. Number two, you could let the failure give you enough reason to sit down and step out of the ring indefinitely, or you could learn from it so you can improve your next attempt. And number three, you could pretend that sitting on the sidelines is reasonable or rational or the objective thing to do, or you could contain the result of your effort to that iteration or that specific instance. Just because you didn't yet doesn't mean you can't. It may mean you won't, but that's entirely still unknown and totally up to you. So choose to be proud of or applaud yourself for making an effort and putting yourself out there instead of being embarrassed by that particular instance. Choose if that's a thing you still want to do and try again. Liberate yourself from this fear of error or from making a mistake and commit to simply failing better. And all of these choices are going to give you courage. And remember also the alternative, which is to sort of take an indefinite seat. Yeah, this is an alternative. Far from sparing you further shame and indignity, it actually serves up an even greater type of humiliation, your own lack of belief in yourself. When you get knocked down and decide not to get up again, I don't care how good your reasons are, you're sending yourself a very clear message that reads, I'm unworthy of even my own support, so much so that I'm not even going to have another try. 
worse than someone else and even everyone else saying we're a bad bet is our own agreement that it's so. And this message really cuts like absolute and total abandonment from the one being on this planet whose esteem you actually need and value the most because it is. So find a way to tell yourself, I believe in you enough to give the energy, time, and attention for another try. I love you enough to invest or reinvest and allow you to fail better the next time. Choose this as your default way of being. And if you need help in making this your default way of being, then let's set up a free consult. You can do so by going to megancrousey.com forward slash breakthrough. Thanks for listening, and I will see you next week. Thank you for tuning into Bullshift. If you're loving what you're learning in the podcast and you want to create your own Bullshift, then you need to check out megancrousey.com forward slash Bullshift. If you haven't already, subscribe to Bullshift on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And remember to connect with me on Instagram at Megan underscore Krause. Let's connect next week.